It's the perfect season to fall in love with the road. Kramer Mazda, North Hill Mazda, and Stony Trail Mazda have over 250 rides available to drive your autumn adventures. Get savings up to $4,000 or 0% financing on all clear-out models. Drive as much as you want with an unlimited mileage warranty, plus get immediate delivery so you don't have to wait to hit the streets. So plan that fall trip to the mountains or explore the city. We've got you covered. Get back on the road with great offers from Stony Trail Mazda, North Hill Mazda, or Kramer Mazda. Hey there, it's Colette LaBarbera and Bridget Whitney. We are pretty pumped to invite you to eavesdrop while we chat with some of our favorite badasses in and beyond the hockey world. The arena goal horn doesn't blow when people have success off the ice, so we want to blow it here. Did you say blow? Oh, I might have. Claudette likes to rap while eating kale and chewing healthy juice on her way to Super Momet, sell real estate, or change the world one philanthropic moment at a time. Bridge smashes coffee and makes up the words to her favorite songs, needs to set an alarm on her phone for almost every appointment in life because she's always late. She's busy managing her three kids, dancing addiction, and website for pro hockey families. If we lived together, we would high-five each other at 4.45 a.m. when I'm just getting up and Bridget is headed to bed, each a vampire in our own right. Both of us love our families, each other, and our insanely awesome hockey community. So pour yourselves a drink of choice and saddle up because the boys aren't the only ones with the stories. We are excited to have Janelle Felino on the podcast today to share her family's remarkable and emotional story. This gracious woman hails from Sudbury, Ontario, where she met her husband, Nick, the current captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets. The young couple's journey starts with hot chocolates at Tim Hortons and continues on to sipping apple ciders in Ohio with their three little kids, one of who they deemed their warrior princess. We've clearly got a lot to talk about. Good morning, ladies, or good afternoon, I guess, depending on where you are. It's morning for me. Good morning. Good afternoon over here. <laughs> Hi, Janelle. It's so nice to see your beautiful face and meet you in person, sort of. Hi, I know. I'm so excited to meet you guys. I feel like I know you in a sense, just from like some mutual friends we have. And I love listening to your other podcasts. So I do feel like I know you a little bit, but it's nice to officially meet you, I guess. I know. Yes, nice to meet you too. Yeah, I know. Like all the friends, all the mutual friends always just feels like, you know, everybody. It's so funny. It's amazing. All the um, teams and friends that you kind of intertwine with. I know it's been, I think, 13 years for Nick now. So I feel like, you know, between we've only been on two teams, but between just everybody kind of cross mingling it, you always feel like it's such a small world. Hockey is really such a small world. So So where are you now? So we're in Columbus right now. Okay. Is that your full-time home or? We spend the hockey season here and then we spend the summers in Sudbury, Ontario. Oh, okay. So we have a lake house up there Excellent. and that's where both our families are. So it's okay. nice. We have kind of the best of both worlds there. So he's from Buffalo, right? Is that correct? Born in Buffalo. Yes. His okay. Dad was and then playing for the Sabres at the time. Ah, yes. Massive mm-hmm. hockey family. Yes. <laughs> his dad played, I don't know, Kodak, his dad played over a thousand games in the NHL as well. So. Oh, that's so cool. That's amazing. I remember when I first met him, his mom was alive at the time and she told me like, get ready. We're a huge hockey family. Everybody plays hockey. We watch it all day, every day. Mike was coaching at the time. So it was just a constant. So I had to kind of jump in with both feet. (laughs) (laughs) You really do. Like you have no choice. It's like, you have to embrace this world and just give her. At least she gave you fair warning. You knew, you knew it was coming, right? She did. (laughs) We were together for a while before she passed. And um, also our families were kind of family friends a little bit. So I felt like I knew her really well. So she definitely passed on some insight. That's incredible. Can you first talk about uh, just growing up for you in, in Canada and your French Canadian heritage? Yeah, so I grew up in Sudbury, Ontario, um, born and raised there. I didn't leave there until I was like 19, I think. So I grew up in a really small French-Canadian family. I have one younger brother. He's five years younger than me. um, And I only have two first cousins. We're a really small, tight-knit family. And um, I went to university in Sudbury. I really did not venture very far um, until I moved to Ottawa for teaching when I was, you know, I think 22 or something like that. But um, so I loved growing up in Sudbury. 
I loved, um, I have a really good group of girlfriends that are still there and being able to go back there in the summers has been amazing and just have our kids grow up with their grandparents close by and um, just kind of bring it all full circle and be able to be together as a family is really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That was always kind of a desire of mine too, as Ray moved around. And I think a lot of families do this. I just wanted to have a home base and I wanted the kids to be able to get to know their grandparents. And the only way to do that was to continue to go home in the summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And we're really lucky though, because my parents and Nick's dad are in the same city. I think it's hard when families are scattered, but they're both in Sudbury. So it makes it kind of an easier decision. That's us too. Ray and I are from the same place. So we didn't have that obstacle either. It was great. It was like, I guess if anything, it was like, whose house are we going to a barbecue for? Are we going, are we turning left when we come out of our house or are we turning right? Like, yeah. Pretty lucky. Yeah. So you went to college there and then were you teaching French? What are you were in French immersion? You were teaching French immersion, right? Yes. I taught French immersion. Um, and I guess my career was kind of short lived because Nick got traded from Ottawa and we came to Columbus and then I didn't have a green card or anything. And then we started our family. So um, I taught for about, I think it was a total of five years. That's great though. That's great. Yeah. Do your kids speak French then too? Like, do you speak French to them? You know, I'm the worst. I started off really strong and they understood. They didn't speak it that much. They all understood. I feel like they're kind of losing it um, just because, you know, being in Columbus, there's really no French around here. It's all on me. And so I take full responsibility because I, <laughs> I'm probably going to kick myself one day for this. but. Um, it's not all gone, but I think yeah. it could be, it could definitely be better. So I have to get back on that, but um, hopefully they'll just understand it and they probably won't speak it very much, but. They're yeah. still young. I'm going to keep know. it for you. I think you I know. Speaking I know. To them. <laughs> I know. I will. I will. I mean, yeah. I think we all say that from the outside looking in to families that are, have bilingual parents. We're like, come on, I would do it. Well, we don't really know if we would do it, but. Yeah. Well, you know what it is too, like with school here and my daughter kind of struggles a little bit with school. And so I feel like I have to really focus on the English and then the French kind of falls by the wayside, but I know she'll just be better for it if I just keep pushing it, but I just have to do it. That makes sense. You know what? My mom was a school teacher too. And she always felt like I was mad at her that she didn't send me to French immersion later in life. I was like, why didn't you do that? And she just kind of said, I, she had wished that you could start French immersion in second grade um, so that you could really get your basics of your own language first and then jump into the, I mean, obviously right. it works the way it is, but um, what do you think about that? I think it's funny when you said that I was kind of like shaking my head because I think for my kids right now, that would be like perfect scenario because right now I think it's like seventh grade or something before they would even be able to pick because they're learning Spanish right now in school. Mm -hmm. So that would kind of be ideal because then I can just piggyback off of that and help them. But um, that's not the case here. So I guess I'm just going to have to <laughs> yeah. pick that well, up. We had Easton in French immersion in kindergarten. Then he was a dropout because he's like, you guys don't speak French. Why do I have to? We're like, fair enough. But I feel like a lot of kids here start young and then they all leave French immersion around grade eight because it just gets harder with math and stuff and like understanding all the terms. Like they can't, they're spending too much time focusing on the French part that they don't actually focus on learning yeah. yet, like learning yeah. it properly. I don't know. Anyways. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Bridget sent me your facts and you, honestly, we have so much to talk about with you today. You are a fascinating person. Like, I don't even know where to start. Hey, Bridge, like, I know there's a million so much going on. on here. So yeah. cool. When did you meet Nick? Cause I feel like this is kind of where the story in your hockey life kind of jumps in all together. Yeah. So what's funny is we actually, like you mentioned, met when we were younger and we didn't really realize it until we were older. I grew up with his family. Um, some of his family members grew up down the street from me. So I grew up knowing his cousins really well. And then um, we would have, you know, kind of intersected at some family parties and stuff like that, but we didn't really know each other because they didn't live in town. And then um, when I was like 16, I think our brothers ended up playing hockey on the same team when they moved back to Sudbury for his dad to coach junior hockey there. 
And so we were at like a Christmas party together. And that's when I remember meeting him for the first time, like actually remembering we were like 16. And then fast forward a few years and we just kind of met up after I think our brother's hockey game or something and went for coffee, which was funny because neither of us drank coffee. I think we <laughs> had like hot, hot chocolate. chocolate. Yeah, we yeah. had like hot chocolate and tea or something. And um, I think it was just, we thought it was cool to say like we were going for coffee. Yeah, totally. And, um, and then, yeah, that's when we started dating. So we were young. Um, I was 19, Nick was 18. And the rest is history, I guess. That's how it all started. Yeah. Who yeah. made the first move after you were sort of dating? We like to get into that fun stuff, the fun juice. It was, stuff. Yeah, it was definitely Nick. I played hard to get. <laughs> Nick tells this story to anyone who will listen. I think I've heard it like 500 times already, but he'll say that on that first date at Tim Hortons when we had coffee, um, he held the door open and an older lady passed in front and then or I went out first and, the, and then the older lady came and he said, by the time he got out, I was already in my truck, like waving him goodbye. He's like, I thought I'd at least get a hug or something. <laughs> I was like, see ya. Um, Cause I Love said it. it wasn't a date and he thought it was. And anyway, but oh my gosh, that's so so I definitely cute. played hard to get for a little while. And then um, I couldn't deny that we had a connection. So it kind of just evolved from there, I guess, but it was super slow. Uh, you just said you jumped into your truck. Was that a first vehicle? Yeah. I used to drive this little silver Mazda B4000 pickup truck that I, <laughs> I loved. <laughs> and like, I think Nick used to think it was kind of weird, but I used to love, that was my first, I saved all my money from waitressing and I worked at a golf course and I saved all my tips and I bought this little truck that was That's not so practical at all, but I loved it. <laughs> I, I love that. I love it too. So then um, what was Ottawa like? We loved Ottawa. I think for me, it was nice first step. Like I said, I didn't really leave Sudbury forever. So it was only five hours away from home. I was still close enough that I can see family and friends. And I actually had a lot of family and friends that already lived in Ottawa. So um, it was kind of an easy transition. I had already set my mind that I was going there before Nick even was drafted by Ottawa. So it kind of just happened organically that we would both be there. We lived separately. We kind of did our own thing, but we were able to still work on our relationship, which was nice. And I think it helped us both become our own person mm -hmm. and then be able to come together as a couple and, and have fun that way, but always kind of did our own thing at the same time. Totally. I love that. Like, it's so good to have your own thing. Nick always says that he's happy it worked out that way because he was said that if I had been in another city, he didn't know if he would, it would work out. And I was always like, what? <laughs> what do you mean it wouldn't work out? Of course it would. But That's easy to say now. It actually is yeah. kind of a unique situation though. It worked. You got to do it for five years. I know that doesn't seem very long, but in, in hockey terms, that seems like 25 years to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I say I'm retired and I say yeah. that I, I feel like I've had kind of a full career in the sense of in the hockey world, it's like dog years, you know? Yeah. I know that you um, have told us that you are just like a, a student at heart, it seems, um, but you did a lot of studying and, and some body image coaching. How did you get into that? I loved always studying and learning. And when I was in Ottawa, I ended up meeting this lady who was doing some work in the body image field and doing some events surrounding that for young girls. And there was a part of me that had never really divulged any of this to anybody really around me, but um, I struggled with an eating disorder when I was in high school. This was before I met Nick and um, I was quite sick with anorexia. And then I ended up on my own kind of coming out of it, but I had never fully felt like I dealt with everything and healed in the proper way. And so when this lady came into my life and started doing this work, I really gravitated towards her and what she was doing and I wanted to help. And it was kind of like my coming out with it all and, and helping me deal with it. You know, I had never gone to therapy or anything like that, which looking back, I totally should have, but this work was now kind of my own therapy and I developed programs for young girls and I went and spoke in middle schools and spoke to girls and boys just about 
you know, the importance of a healthy body image and what that looks like and how you can achieve it. And it just really helped me at the same time as I think I was helping other people it helped me heal and come to terms with it all. And then we did some events and raised some money for the local hospitals that were dealing with eating disorder programs and stuff like that. So, wow. And then I remember, um, the local paper took interest in it because, you know, being that Nick was an Ottawa Senator and they wanted to kind of tell my story. And I remember being so scared because a lot of people, you know, even the girls on the team, like nobody even knew that I had struggled with that. I think I come across as a very, um, confident person when I feel like I am more now, but at the time I definitely wasn't. And so it, I think it shocked a lot of people, but I was really scared to kind of share that. But then I knew that by doing that, it would probably help a lot of people. And hopefully, you know, if they were struggling, they could see that there could be light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. So um, it took a lot, but it was really helpful. Well, and I think it sounds like it opened a lot of doors for others, um, finding you more relatable even, you know? I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's such a hard conversation and to admit it. And like you said, the girls on the team didn't know. And not that we tell them all everything, but no, I know. But I do admire that. I admire it. Thank you. I do agree. It's like, that's very brave. And I think it's, it's awesome that you've opened that door. Do you, would you direct um, girls now or anyone listening um, somewhere to go or reach out to if they're having problems? Well, I always just would say that um, the hardest part is reaching out at first. I remember when I was going through it, you're, you're kind of in denial. People would come to me and I would be like, no, I'm fine. And, you know, you would just kind of brush it off because you weren't ready to talk about it or you really don't feel that you have a problem because you're not ready to stop um, doing what you're doing but just to try to find like that one friend or if it's not your parent your one friend or your teacher or somebody that you can talk to um, and then they can help direct you may direct you maybe to a program or something like that um, but the first thing would definitely just be having a conversation with somebody that you trust and that has your best interest at heart Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Hopefully, um, that will make a, a difference to someone too. I think your um, plate is so full of experiences. That's why Koda, <laughs> I know. Like sometimes we have, we're like, okay, what can we chat about? There's just so much to get into with you. Um, so let's just keep trying to move along chronologically, at least. So now you and Nick are. <laughs> so you've gotten married. How did the little engagement go? Maybe it was little. Maybe it was big. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was so nice. Um, like I said, I was teaching in Ottawa at the time. And I remember him asking me at the end of August, like I was getting ready to start, I forget, I think it was my second year teaching. And so it's a really busy time, you're prepping everything. And I remember him saying, he wanted to go visit his sister in Toronto, the weekend after the first week of school. And I was so mad. And I was like, no, like I'm going to be exhausted. I will just have been teaching my first week. I've been, I've had a lot going on prepping and he was kind of putting the guilt trip on me about how it was going to be his last time seeing his family before training camp. And so I was kind of bitter about it. And I was mad about traveling to Toronto for the weekend. Meanwhile, he had planned this whole thing where he was proposing to me and he had brought my family in and his family in, and it was this big thing in Toronto um, and so I quickly kind of let that go that I was mad about it at first, but it was really sweet. He proposed to me like by the water down there. And then we went over to his sister's house and I was thinking that it was just going to be his sister. And then everybody kind of started coming out and surprising us. So we had a big oh. dinner and it was really nice. Oh, that's so awesome. I like when they plan, like when they actually plan for it. It's so cute. Yeah. Because I'm usually the planner in the relationship because you know it takes effort yeah (laughs) Yeah. so it you know I kind of quickly felt bad about giving him a hard time but it makes it all part of the story now I think there must be some kind of odd challenge about that with the guys because this is I've we've heard multiple stories where the girls are a little pissed at the guys right Mm -hmm. before they pop the question so it's kind of it's this fun little like it is true because they throw things like yeah like we have our days 
scheduled and planned, right? And then they throw a little wrench in it out of nowhere. And you're like, what are you doing? Like Jason did that too. I was trying to nap and he's like, let's go for a walk. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what are you talking about? They all do it. It's so funny, but you know, it takes effort because they don't do much of the planning. So that's probably the only way they can get away with it too, is to surprise us and, and make it that kind of thing. Otherwise we would know. Yeah, that's true. And again, to plan a surprise and to that magnitude and have people come in and um, and be there and keep that a secret, that's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. Good job, so Nick. <laughs> yeah. And then where did you guys get married? We got married um, at Niagara-on-the-Lake uh, winery down there called Chateau des Champs. Yeah. And it was really nice. It was like pretty big, about 300 people, but it was ended up being a beautiful day and... Um, we still love that place. Yeah. Gorgeous. What was your first dance song? It was Marry Me by Train. Oh, that's oh, a good cute. one. Yeah. I feel like it was super trendy at the time, but now I'm, I'm still happy about it. Yeah. That's awesome. I loved actually during all of the lockdown and quarantine, different things were popping up. And one of them was, what was your first dance? And I, I kind of loved like cruising through those Insta stories. I didn't see those ones. You didn't? Hmm. Well, maybe we'll have to start it again. What was yours, Kodak? Well, you don't want to know. <laughs> Why? Was it dropped? Because I, I was, honestly, I was just too trashed to be at my own wedding. What was yours? Um, I know I'm trying. I'm like, oh my God. It was, um, oh my God. Can we talk about this later? Because I can't even think of it. How bad is that? Yeah, I know. And let's just not talk about how turbo wasted I got. <laughs> well, I wasn't that, but I just, I feel like it was, un, I think we did Unforgettable, but it was the Nat King Cole with his daughter version. Okay. I think that was it. I don't know that one. Oh, well, I'll share it. <laughs> First, I'll double check that that was in fact the song, and then I will share it. <laughs> Ray probably and, knows he knows random things where I'm like surprised that he remembers like there's some yeah. things that he doesn't remember and then things like that he'll look at me like how do you not remember that you, yeah and I love music and dancing so I I'm a little mad at myself right now yeah I'm, I'm kind of sweating actually <laughs> you probably haven't been asked that in so long I'm gonna, no I'm gonna I'm gonna text Ray so that he has that on you next time it's like shut your mouth I'm just kidding. I'll sell you. I'll sell you out. Um, and then, so you guys, and then, so you were in Ottawa, like when you got, like you guys were still playing for Ottawa when you guys were married. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then we okay. um, moved to Columbus the following year. Oh, okay. Okay. So your kids were, were they all born in Columbus? They're all three of them are born in Columbus. Yeah. Cute. Oh. We Ray Ray played in Columbus too, and our oldest was born in Columbus. Yeah, I so love it, it here. I love That's it. What I keep hearing, like everyone who's played in Columbus, they love it. They absolutely love it. It was funny because when he was traded there, I didn't even know where it was. Like I was super <laughs> small town girl Me and too. I had to Google it and it <laughs> said Ohio. <laughs> and I said, okay, where's Ohio? I had no clue, but I quickly <laughs> came to love it. I am so happy to hear you say that because I was exactly the same. Ray was playing for the Panthers at the time and he gets traded to Columbus and I'm like, what? Huh? I mean, I knew it was in Ohio, but I was like, where the heck is, where is it exactly? Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was embarrassing, but I'm so glad to hear you say that because I felt the same way. And then I absolutely loved it there too. Loved it. It's a great family place. Yeah. What's your favorite, what's your favorite um, just thing about the city or the area? I just love how family oriented it is. You know, there's a lot to do for the kids. The weather is pretty nice too. And it just feels like a really down to earth feel. And mm -hmm. it's kind of a bigger city, but it doesn't have that big city feel. And I really just enjoy the people around here too. Yeah. I think that's that awesome. It helps in the Midwest. Yeah. That's what I keep hearing. And it's, yeah, obviously that helps, especially when you're away from home and then yeah, you just create this life there. And then, so how old, are all, how old are your kids? You have three? Yes. So Milana is our oldest, and she'll be seven in October. Landon, our middle son, is five. And Hudson, the baby, he's three. Wow. Cute. You've got your hands full. 
Let's talk a little bit about Milana, your warrior princess. Yes. Oh my gosh. The one so, that made me a mama. Yes. Um, so she was born in Columbus in 2013 and I had an awesome pregnancy with her. I was like doing everything by the book and I felt really, really good. And then the day she was born, they did all the newborn screenings and in Ohio, they do this pulse oximetry test where they test the oxygenation in your blood. And I remember them coming in and telling me that she had failed. Like they took her overnight and they're like, she failed her pulse ox test. But you know, sometimes it happens when newborns like are moving around a lot. And so they're like, I wouldn't really look into it too much. We'll come back and get her in about three, four hours and we'll try it again. So I went back to sleep and Nick had left at this point to go to Detroit. He was going to go play the game. And so they come back, test her the second time. And then after the second time, they came back and told me she failed significantly again. Mm. So they said that the percentage should be like from anywhere from 95 to 100. And she was like in the 60s and 70s. So I still didn't really know what that meant. But they said that they were having a pediatrician come in and talk to me. And so I feel like it was kind of a blur all at once. My mom was on her way to the hospital and Nick was flying in Detroit. So on his way to Detroit. So I had no one to like contact. I was starting to kind of freak out. Oh my God. And so the doctor came in and explained to me just that they're worried about her heart. And so they did a test in the NICU unit, like right in the hospital where I gave birth. And then um, they were hearing a murmur and they were just seeing that some things were abnormal and they wanted to transfer her to the children's hospital. And so Nick flew back from Detroit, came to Columbus. And then, yeah, she was straight into the NICU um, at children's hospital, then up to the ICU cardiac floor where she spent the first week. And then after that came home for a week but really wasn't doing well at home and rushed back to the hospital. And then within a few days of that, we uh, were traveling by med flight to Boston for her to have her open heart, her first open heart surgery. Wow. I can't even imagine. Like I have chills. I just. A little bit of a whirlwind start to parenthood, but. um, (sighs) No kidding. That was. You said that in Columbus, they do the pulse oxy test. Is this not a test they run everywhere? At the time, it was, I think, one of two or three states where they do this test and they were not doing it in Canada either. Now, you know, almost seven years later, I think they do it in most areas or you can request it. But it was kind of, we say it was fate that we were in Ohio where this is mandatory. Otherwise, you know, she would have gotten really sick at home and it might have been too late to intervene. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then once you're there, had they been able to diagnose her? I remember having a conversation with you just via email. We had never met, but I had started the website and you, I wanted to try and share what was going on, but I was so hesitant because I wanted to make sure I had all the words and facts correct. So what, what was she diagnosed with then? So her diagnosis is just a really rare um, condition that's called mitral valve arcade. It's like uh, the regurgitation of the mitral valve. So the mitral valve kind of leaks um, both ways into the chamber and sending blood into the lungs and stuff. And so um, she had to have a mitral valve replacement. The problem at that age, you know, she was three weeks old at the time, is that there really was no good option that would have her live past two years old at the time. So we really just didn't know which route to take. And we had heard the plans for the children's hospital in Columbus and we were getting ready to have surgery there. When my sister-in-law mentioned a friend of hers whose daughter had open heart surgery at Boston and she just wanted to connect us originally to have us kind of bounce things off each other. And I obviously didn't know what to expect having a sick baby. And so she was just going to kind of put my mind to ease. And that conversation turned into her giving me her cardiologist's name and number in Boston Children's. And she said, just get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. And 
I did. And then I felt so comfortable with what they were doing there, which was an experimental surgery at the time. It still is. It's not, it's still not FDA approved where they were using a valve that they would normally use in the pulmonary position. They were trying it in the mitral valve position in these babies and they were doing well. They were, you know, getting to about five years old before they needed another open heart surgery when any other modality would have been like only a few months down the road before she needed a second heart open or second open heart surgery rather. So I just told Nick, I said, okay, we have to go to Boston. And he was like, we can't, you know, he was kind of, we can't go to Boston and we need to stay here. I'm working. I'm everything we have is here. And I just, in my heart, I knew we had to go. And so we organized Five days later, she was flown to Boston and we met everybody for the first time. And within a few days, she had her surgery and she did amazing with it. She was released from the hospital 10 days after her open heart surgery. We stayed in Boston for about another month just to be close to her doctors and make sure she was okay to come back to Columbus. But yeah, and so this particular valve that they put in, they could inflate through a catheter rather than have to open her up every time. So that's what we did. Wow. And she had two inflations done every about a year and a half, just in, as her heart grew, she needed more support. So they went in and they inflated it until um, a year and a half ago. Now when she was five, she um, ended up with a um, infection to that particular valve. And so she had to have it replaced. So she had her second open heart surgery a year and a half ago now, but she's doing amazing. How did, how did you, um, realize she had an infection then? Did she just kind of get sick or was she have, does she start to labor and breathing? Yeah. So we're always on high alert with her anytime she gets sick because we knew it was always a possibility that she could get an infection to her valve because it's a foreign object in her body. So with any fever, we're kind of on high alert. And so she had had a fever for a couple of days with no other symptoms. And I had taken her into the doctors and everybody knows we have to be extra careful with her in fevers. So they did some tests and they started her on antibiotics just as a precaution for her valve. Mm -hmm. And so she had been on antibiotics now for about three days at that point. She was still spiking high fevers with no other symptoms. And so our next door neighbor is actually a cardiologist at the children's hospital. And he was like, you know, just take her in, get an echo done, just, you know, to put your mind at ease. And then we went in and we just didn't come out because she had had an infection to her valve. So um, she started then on six weeks of heavy antibiotics before her open heart surgery so that they can fully clear the infection. And then. Wow. Oh, I can't like, honestly, all of it. It's even just putting everything at risk. Like you said, just switching doctors and hospitals and cities and like, just knowing like mama knows, right? Like you're just, I don't know, like the, the risk you must've felt, but something in you just, new and like how happy you must have been to to have that work out so well and it it's just like you kind of you know but you don't want to know because you don't want to admit it and you're like oh no if I'm right then this is not good but yeah it all just fell into place and she has an amazing group of doctors in Columbus and they work really well with the doctors in Boston so they treated her here as far as she could go before surgery and then surgery in Boston and recovery in Boston and then follow-ups in Columbus. So I can't imagine the fear. Like, how did you, how did you get through that initial one with a three-week-old? What is your what is your mind doing? How where do you find the strength? I feel like Nick and I work really well as a team. We have a really strong faith and our support system around us is amazing and we just kind of put our faith in God and we asked everybody for prayers and I feel like we were in fight or flight mode for a while and it didn't hit us until probably she was like a year old and you know when you have that first birthday party and everybody every mom kind of goes like oh I survived that first year and I have a one-year-old well for me it was kind of like holy crap, that first year was insane. And 
just the unknown was a little bit hard, but um, cause you kind of just didn't know when the other shoe would drop, when she would get sick again. Cause it's inevitable that we knew she would have probably several open heart surgeries in her lifetime. So um, we just had to kind of take it a day at a time and just try to focus on all the positives and just trust and kind of take it as it comes. But I feel like the last year and a half, like when she went through the second surgery, everyone was like, I don't know how you do it. And you just do like when you have a sick child or any bad obstacle come through your life, you just fuck up and you do it. Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of what we did. And then you just kind of deal with it after. (laughs) I literally, I don't know how parents do it. I would have to be sedated. Like I just, I couldn't, I'm so emotional. I couldn't do it. And I I normally am too, but when it, and I said, yeah, you just, you just do it. Yeah. Yeah. You're handling everything that's been thrown at you with a lot of grace and immense strength. Mm -hmm. I try to, I mean, we have our moments, but like I said, Nick and I are just stronger through everything. The year and a half when Milana had her surgery within like that last surgery within five months of that, our youngest son actually got really ill too. And it was like, we had two of our kids go through life or death experiences within five months. And it was like, felt like we got hit by a Mack truck, but Uh, we all came out of it stronger. So Hudson was diagnosed with um, a a pneumonia like that January after we got back from Boston with Milana and he spent like five days in the hospital then, and he recovered really well from that. And then early March, he came down with another respiratory infection. And then that turned into a pneumonia as well. And he spent 19 days on a ventilator. He is his left lung collapsed. It was just like, what really scary for a little while. But then, you know, miracles happen and he pulled through and we looked back on those five months and we were like, that was literally the hardest five months of our entire lives. But as a family, we just grew stronger and fought harder and all came together and just kind of are Coda, better for it now. Coda and I are just sitting here with our mouths hanging open and like shaking what? our heads. <laughs> we kind of feel like we're a reality TV show sometimes. We were like, is this actually happening? And um, sometimes we're actually, we're even a little bit embarrassed to share everything because we're like, people are going to think something's like wrong with us, but right. I but swear, like, like we're healthy people. I don't know. It's just, I know. Um, like, how does this happen? And like, even just, I can't even like, I'm just picturing like, I don't know, a little child on a ventilator and that's just heartbreaking in itself. Like it's just, they should be out playing and doing all these things or whatever. And that he's on a ventilator and well. Ugh to lighten this a little not even to make it light but in the middle of that think talking about kids playing um your middle son in the middle of all of this broke his leg oh yeah yeah that was just kind of like an added thing of course I mean it happens in threes we just kept saying like it happens in threes (laughs) you're done after this (laughs) like this is it right but the funny part which like it's not so funny but when you look back on it it kind of is we had taken our middle son to the trampoline park because we had spent so much time and energy on Milana, getting her back and spending time with her in Boston that we felt like he was kind of feeling a little bit left out. And so we were like, we took him out of school and we took him to the trampoline park, just Nick and I and him. And we were going out for lunch and yeah, within 10 minutes of being at the trampoline park, (laughs) he breaks his leg pretty seriously. And that was the end of that. Of course, right? It's insane. It's insane. Like just throwing you another curveball. I actually, I remember chatting with Mary Shaw at the time um, on Instagram. And I remember just thinking about you because I, and sending well wishes and prayers because I knew Milana had had her surgery. And then Mary and I were texting and she was like, their little guy just broke his leg. I was like, what? Oh no. Oh, it was insane. But we were all thinking about you and look at you getting through it all. Thank I know. You. Yeah. I've, I learned to juggle that here. <laughs> uh, I, so, guess that... Got, I guess, sorry, Godette. I guess Landon got his attention. He did. He, he got a lot of it. <laughs> a little guy. 
So I have a question about your, your foundation then. So what is, what is the focus? So it's just kind of at its beginning stages. Um, I think the main focus will be heart related. Um, I wrote a book when, well, I wrote a poem when Milana was going through her latest open heart surgery that then I recently turned into a book. And that was the starting point of the foundation because now when I release this book, I want all the proceeds to go to heart-related organizations or hospitals. And then we kind of decided to, well, let's make a foundation and pool the money in there and then even hopefully be able to grow this foundation to then be able to give back even more. Um, and so we're still ironing all that out, but the original focus will definitely be for congenital heart defect research and giving back to families um, and taking it from there. I love it. And it's called the hearts playbook. That'll be the foundation. Yeah. The hearts playbook. Um, I started the hearts playbook Instagram to kind of start pooling all of our stuff in one place and hopefully we'll be able to grow it a little bit through that. And um, when the book comes out, that's where it'll all be. And so hopefully it's just kind of like one stop shop where we can try to make as much of a difference as possible. Yeah, so go follow that account. I'm already following it. I've already loved what <laughs> you post and it's everything it. from um, cute artwork uh, from Milana and um, to recipes, heart healthy recipes, I think. Yeah, uh, I feel like it's kind of all over the place and I need to learn how to work social media a little bit more. I'm very, I'm not very tech savvy, but it's just kind of a fun pastime right now where Nick and I can just put stuff that inspire us and help us to live kind of as fully as we possibly can through everything. I love it. And I think honestly, like I'm already so inspired by you and like everything you're doing, of course you're of course you're writing a book, um, <laughs> launching a book and putting it into a foundation. Like, honestly, I admire that so much to take, like when people take their struggles or their losses and they turn it into something bigger to help others. And I like, honestly, I think it's amazing that you guys are doing this. Do you think for you, it's part of um, your own healing process or your own coping to get through? Absolutely. That's actually why I originally wrote the poem. And I just, I find I'm I struggle with finding words to express myself sometimes when I'm just speaking, but I love to write and I'm normally the one just jotting down my feelings and journaling. And so that's where it started for me. I wrote this poem as kind of like a release for myself and words that I wanted Milana to hear. And I didn't know how I would end up sharing that, but one thing kind of led to another. I met an illustrator and I was just kind of like, maybe we should put this into a book and hopefully it'll help another kid that has gone through this heart journey that is trying to find a little bit of identity. They're a little bit different than the others and they've got these scars and, you know, how can we make them feel good about what they've gone through and mm -hmm. these marks that they have right now, she's okay with it, but I'm hoping when she's like 15, 16, she's not self-conscious about being in a bathing suit with it, you know, but it's just part of their story. And it mm -hmm. really is like their warrior marks and the reason that they're alive. So it's like, you want to be proud of that. And, and also I think at the same time, it teaches other people what these kids have gone through so that they can realize, you know, they don't necessarily know what the scars mean when they see them, but if they can understand what that child's been through, then maybe it makes it a bit easier on everybody. Yeah, hundred percent. And we would just hope that, I mean, we, as adults, we see them as badges of honor. Like this is an incredible fight that they've put up. So we, if only young kids could feel what we, what we feel when we see it, you know, or when we hear a story like yours. So hopefully your book will, will help with that as well. I'm sure it will. Do your kids all get along well? Hmm, I They're feel kind like of they, at that battle age. <laughs> yeah, I they definitely battle. Um, I try to remind them every day that they're each other's best friends and first friends. But yeah, they definitely fight. They're really close in age and they're all competitive. So they oh. get at each other a little bit. But <laughs> hopefully they also have a very strong bond. I do see that. So I'm hoping that their bond kind of takes precedent 
over the battles, but eventually. It will. Um, and how long was Nick in the bubble for? So it was about eight weeks total that we were away from him. Okay. Mm -hmm. Didn't you have a double OT win to get into the playoff round even? There were so many overtime games. I, I can't even count, but yeah, a lot of overtimes to get in yeah. and then, and then a lot of overtimes during. So it was, it was a lot of hockey. Um, I feel like it, we went from being at a standstill and kind of wondering if it even would go to then the next day, almost it felt like that was like, okay, it's happening. And it was all lined up and it was just kind of a weird feeling to not want to see him. You were like, I, I miss you, but I don't want to see you. Cause if I see you, that means you lost. So you're kind right. of, mm -hmm. you're wanting them to last as long as possible. But at the same time, that makes it even longer away from us but it was exciting I think it was a good thing for them to just like be focused um but yeah a whirlwind for sure and I can't even imagine you know the families that are still in it if, of course it's all for good reason and you really that the cup is the goal but it's a struggle I think for them as much as for us I remember someone saying to me like that must be so hard being alone with the kids but I was like I also can't imagine how hard it is for the guys being away from their families, mm -hmm. you know, it's yeah. hard for us holding down the fort, but it's also so hard for them knowing that they can't be there. And yeah, just to go to your room and be alone and yeah. just missing the kids. Like mm -hmm. I said it to somebody else we had on, but I'm like, you know, for me, I can do it. I'm fine, but I feel bad for the kids to be away from their dad and, you know, Jason to be away from kids. Like that's so hard. Plus we can, we can sort of change our scenery around the home and, right. you know, like do a lot of things. And when we really put yourself in there, they cannot change their scenery. There, <laughs> no. there really aren't a lot of options for them and they cannot change the faces that are around them. So, yeah, you know, and we like, were busy. Like I kept myself really busy with the kids. We were at the lake. And so I feel like we were going, going all the time. And Nick would be like, trying to get a hold of us and we're like all over the place <laughs> like I'm sitting here by myself throw me a phone. And I was like oh yeah sorry we're just down at the water and going to yeah. visit grandpa and you yeah. know but did you FaceTime a lot with him we did we FaceTimed a lot um the kids would have you know the computer they would each have their own times and just coloring with dad and just doing their own thing and trying to make it as seamless as possible but near the end you could tell they were kind of they didn't fully understand where he was and why he couldn't come back. And I remember telling them when they lost out and them being upset that he lost, but at the same time, they were like, does that mean he gets to come home? And they were so excited. So it was bittersweet for sure. Yeah. I think that's the best uh, combination of words right now right there. And it seems to be what every family is feeling along the way. Like you, you think, this sacrifice is all meant so that they could go win the Stanley cup or have the chance at winning the Stanley cup. Mm -hmm. um, so the families are putting that on themselves too, for sure. Have you felt watching the games? Did you feel the same intensity that, you know, from prior playoff years? I thought that they did a really good job showing the games on mm -hmm. TV. I missed obviously going to the home games and being a part of that whole atmosphere. I almost felt more nervous for those games watching them on TV than, oh. than I think I would normally. And I don't know why that is. <laughs> I don't know also if it was like I was in Sudbury and our first round of plans was against Toronto and everybody in my hometown is like a Toronto fan. So I think I felt a lot of pressure, um, <laughs> but like, no, I did feel more nervous than normal. And I think, cause I know how much went into it league-wide and with every team that you just want them to do the best they can and go as far as possible. It is wild. Are you doing any fun fall things? I feel like that season in Ohio is just beautiful. It is beautiful in Ohio in the fall and there's so much going on. Um, we love to go apple picking. Usually we do that every year so that'll be coming up in the next couple of weeks and then there's a lot of really good pumpkin farms and patches and a lot of activity surrounding that. I'm sure it'll look a little bit different this year, but we'll try to do as much as possible. And we just have to be a little bit more careful 
I think too, as, as in everybody does, but with our kids, we're just a little more anal about germs and that kind of stuff. So we try to do as much as we can, but as, as long as it's outside and we'll do as much as we can to kind of have that fall spirit because it is so fun. Let's just say COVID has disappeared and you could go anywhere in the world. Where would you go? I would go to Europe. I really, I've never been, and I really always wanted to do Italy and Greece. Um, so I think I would definitely go to Europe. Finally, somebody else who has also never been to Europe. <laughs> I am so sheltered. I haven't been very many places at all. So uh, we'll start there. I have never been. Okay. Yeah. I would do Italy, Greece. Yeah. I would do Italy and Greece and Spain. Like all those. Those, yeah. Beautiful spots. We hit Italy and Greece on our honeymoon and it's been a while. So it's it's definitely time to get back. Um, So we are going to get healthy so we can uh, hit the road and have some fun. I know. We're celebrating our 10 year anniversary next summer and that's what we wanted to do. But I don't think that's in the books. You never know. The world's going, but we'll see. Well, the good news is that. Europe is not going anywhere. So that I always feel like we can find comfort in. <laughs> it would be that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just focused on Stampede being here next year. Okay. We need to focus. <laughs> uh, well, Janelle, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Your family is incredible. Your strength is admirable. And we um, just want to wish continued health to all of you and Milana and her little warrior strength. I know we'll just keep growing and growing. Um, so much love and respect to all so of much. you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. I'm glad we can fo- all follow your journey. So that's amazing. Yeah. Thank and you then let us, know, let us know when the books drop or what we can do to help. We can't wait. I will. It'll be coming soon and I'll definitely have to send you guys one. All right. Okay. Take Thank good care. You. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Glow Anti-Aging. I've been going to Glow for the past two years and love the environment. I always feel refreshed and rejuvenated every time I leave. To maximize convenience and comfort, you can now pamper yourself at home by shopping all your favorite products online at gloantiaging.com and use the code OurHockeyLife for 10% off. Thanks for hanging out. You've been listening to Our Hockey Life with Codette LaBarbera and Bridget Whitney. Join us next week when we get to introduce you to another great hockey friend. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Our Hockey Life and at Codette LaBarbera.